the words you are invited can make you feel a, a variety of things. They make you feel honored. They may make you feel burdened or obligated. I guess it all depends on who's inviting you and what they are inviting you to. But there are different kinds of invitations. Um, there are those invitations that invite you to something, you know, and make it sound like a privilege, but the reality is they really want something from you. I was in, once invited uh, uh, with this fancy invitation to an exclusive black tie banquet held at an elite club hosted by an important official that was running for office. But as I read the invitation, I found out that this exclusive opportunity could be mine for only $5,000. Then there are those invitations that, that you receive that you know were only sent out of a courtesy. Maybe you're a member of some group, uh, you're on a mailing list, everyone got an invitation, uh, and the invitation was just sent out as a you know, is the expected thing to do, but they don't even really care if you come. Um, then there are those invitations that you receive that you would rather not receive. Uh, kind of like the invitation to the principal's office you got as a kid in school. You get invitations to events that you don't want to attend. Um, maybe it's boring or you know, you feel obligated, you have a friend you don't want to let down, you have a, a public image you need to maintain, and, and so you write it down on the schedule and you commit to going, but you just pray that something comes up and you don't have to go. But then there are those invitations that are a true honor, a rare privilege. You, you get a thrill through your body, you get goosebumps. You sit down and read it again just to make sure that you read it right. Um, you know, in recent years, we've had uh, some of this experience with, with both of our girls, the joys of, of college acceptance level uh, letters, uh, being qualified for, for certain programs or, or winning scholarships. Years ago, my mother was invited to tour with a well-known singing group, and, and it was an honor that, that she still talks about to this day. Another time, a couple years ago, my dad was invited to, to do the opening invocation at a NASCAR race. So I remember being really happy for him and also kind of jealous. Um, last year, I got my own uh, NASCAR honor when I was invited to go to the race at Texas Motor Speedway with a NASCAR hot pass, all right, with full access to the garage and to the pits. I got to go behind the scenes with the drivers. I got to meet all the big names. I got to see legends of the sport. I got to watch the teams as they wrenched on the cars. We got tours of the haulers. I got autographs. And we got to watch the races from sitting on top of the team's pit boxes. I mean, we could smell the gas and the rubber and, and lug nuts went flying by. It was totally cool. Um, in Matthew chapter 22, verse 41, Jesus tells a story 
about a very important person who sends out a very important invitation. Um, Matthew chapter 22, beginning with verse 1. And here's what it, it says. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parable, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast. So they've already received an invitation. But they would not come. Again, he sent other servants saying, tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off. One to his farm, another to his business. While the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully and killed them. The king was angry. And he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. And then he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you can find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there was a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then here is our core verse this week. For many are called but few are chosen. Now, this story is one of Jesus' parables, and some of his, his most important teachings uh, are parables. And the word parable comes from a word that means to throw alongside, and, and that's basically what a parable does, all right? It's a story that you throw alongside of an important spiritual truth to, to explain it or to illustrate it. It's been said that a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And the heavenly reality behind this parable is the special invitation that God has sent out to all people. The beginning first with the Jews, but then including everyone else, including us. But we also see that though everyone receives this invitation, not everyone receives it enthusiastically. Not everyone responds with gladness. But this isn't the sort of invitation, an invitation from a king, that you just set in a drawer and you forget about it. Now, Jesus tells us that there are four kinds of responses that we can have to God's invitation. And we see all four of these responses in his story. Now, Jesus compares the kingdom of heaven to a king who is having a, a wedding banquet for his son, presumably, presumably the heir to the throne, um, who's about to get married. Um, the king in this story, of course, represents God. 
And the Jews would have readily understood this throughout the Old Testament. God is seen as the sovereign king. There's also a very rich Jewish storytelling tradition, which always casts God in the role of a king. Naturally, the son represents Jesus, God's son. And the wedding of the son, this symbolizes um, the end of time, the, the second coming of Jesus, when his kingdom is finally and fully realized and established, when Jesus comes to, to establish that kingdom once and for all. Uh, the New Testament frequently pictures the coming of Jesus uh, by, by saying that Jesus is like the groom, the church is the bride, and the wedding banquet is a, a, a fairly common image of this uh, end times expectation of the church or of the kingdom. And of course, the wedding invitation or the invitation to the banquet represents God's invitation that goes out to all people for salvation. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That invitation. Now, in the first century, in this Jewish culture, an invitation from the king would have been the highest of honors, especially the celebration of a royal wedding, the wedding of the future king and queen. We read in our text that, that it was an invitation to a wedding banquet, all right? So don't make the mistake of, of thinking that just these people were invited over to dinner or that this was like a first century wedding reception. Um, first century wedding receptions, especially for, for high-class weddings, royal weddings, involved like seven days of feasting and celebration. Um, it was an invitation to a week of festivities. So yeah, it was a big deal. You had to schedule around it. You had to put some things on hold, but, but it was considered a, an incredible honor and you were expected to come. You see, the king would have invited all of his officials, all the governors, all the influ influential citizens. And, and in the first century, this invitation would have involved two parts. First was the announcement that it's coming, you know? Uh, no date yet, but just, hey, be aware. Uh, there's going to be a wedding, uh, and, and we're going to have a big banquet, and I want you to come. And then there would have been a second invitation. All right, it's time. Here's the date. Here's the place. Here's when you need to be there. All that sort of thing. All right. Now, as we read through the story, we find that those who were originally invited were invited a total of three times. All right. And it's with these honored dignitaries that we see the first response that we can have to God's invitation. Now, some of them simply ignored the invitation, right? And even when they were reminded with a second invitation, they went back to what they were doing. One guy works in his fields. Another guy goes to tend to his business. And let me tell you something. An invitation from a king is not something you should ignore, all right? These guys 
probably weren't just expected to come, but given the, the culture and the customs of the day, they were required to come. To not come would be seen as an act of, of insurrection or rebellion against the king. And, and this is where we see our first response that we can have to God's invitation. And that is to simply ignore it, right? To, to live as though this life is all there is, to live our lives as if there's no spiritual dimension, to go about our daily business as if that's all that matters. Right? And it doesn't matter if you believe in God or not, if you go on living like there's no God. And notice that those who ignored the king's invitation, they weren't off doing horrible, wicked things, all right? They were engaged in worthwhile pursuits, right? The crops do need tending. Business does need to be managed. And I'm afraid that there will be many who miss the kingdom simply because they were too busy. They weren't hostile to the invitation. They weren't against it. They didn't say, no, I'm not coming. They were just simply too preoccupied, distracted with other things. And I think in our culture, busyness may very well be one of the biggest idols that we deal with. Right? We're busy with work. We're busy with our families. We're busy with, with sports. We're busy with causes. We're busy with organizations. We're busy with our, our interests. And I think there's a whole lot of people out there that probably intend on responding to the invitation someday, all right? But in the meantime, that invitation just lies under a pile of other more important things, all right? And so it's forgotten. But should you ignore the invitation of a king? There are so many people who believe in God. They, they might even have positive feelings about God uh, and his invitation. But they simply don't respond. Right? Here's the thing. You don't have to be against God to reject him. All you have to do is nothing, right? To be preoccupied and too busy. Is this you? Are you the busy, preoccupied person? Do you, do you intend on responding someday? You just have to get this done first or, or get that done first. Right? When, when you're young, you're just kind of waiting to get out of school. You know, life is so new and exciting and you got all these things going on. And, and just when I graduate, when I get out of school, when I get my degree, you know, and then I can really focus on, on adult things. All right. But then, you know, you've got a new job, you've got a new career. So you're like, well, I'm really busy. I'm just starting out. I'm the low man on the totem pole. I just, I've got to put in some extra effort. Maybe, maybe when I get a little more advanced. And then it's, well, I'm getting married. I'm, I'm you know, we're just starting a family and, and I just, I don't have time right now. And then it's, well, we're having children and, and, and we're just too busy with the kids. 
you know, and that doesn't slow down as the kids get older. Before you know it, you know, you've got kids in, in, in baseball and dance and gymnastics and, and it goes on and on. And every night of the week, you're running the kids here and you're running the kids there and you just don't have time to respond to God's invitation. And so you think, you know, when the kids get older, you know, and then it's when the kids leave home, when we have an empty nest, then it's when I retire, right? And we keep putting off responding to God's invitation until it's too late. And what I want to encourage you this morning is, is take that invitation out from under the pile and realize how important it is. See, one of the things we see here is, is the patience and mercy of God. Though these people refuse to come, God sends more servants to invite them again, and, and God gives them chance after chance. But they go on about their business, they keep ignoring him, and they end up missing the invitation entirely. So the, the, the first response we can have is, is to ignore the invitation. But there are others amongst this original group who, who do respond to the invitation, but with more hostility. They actually beat the king's servants and kill them. Um, now, understand the ramifications of this, because the king's servants were seen as the king's official representatives, especially when they bore a, an official proclamation, like a, an invitation to a wedding. It was as if this came from the king himself. So to beat or kill his servants was seen as a personal assault on the king himself. It would be considered an act of treason. And this isn't apparently just the act of a couple of isolated individuals, but, but the king holds their whole town, their whole city responsible either through indifference or just active participation. They all play a part in assaulting the king's men. And so the king responds harshly. He sends out his troops to put down what he sees as nothing less than an insurrection. But this brings us to the second response that we can have to God's invitation. We can reject it. And for many reasons, there are those who respond to God with hostility, right? They intentionally live against God. They reject his ways. They, they abandon themselves to sin and they revel in it. They break the rules. They do their own thing and they flaunt it. Right? They don't just ignore God, but they live in open revolt. Now, what's kind of sobering about this is that with these first two groups of people, Jesus is targeting the Jewish people of the covenant, right? Because they are the ones that, that originally received the invitation, right? They were the first ones called. They were the, the chosen people. The kingdom was first offered to them. But not only did they ignore God's call, but they actively rebelled against it. They, they beat and, and persecuted uh, the prophets that God sent um, to them. But the Jews are not alone in this response. We can be just as guilty 
of rejecting God's invitation with hostility. Do you know the right thing to do, but then you go intentionally and do the opposite? Do you talk about God and Jesus, the faith, the scriptures, in, in, in ways that are insulting and, and demeaning? And I'm not talking about, you know, pointing out hypocrisy or calling out things that need to be pointed out, but, but just living in open hostility toward God. And many times this hostility is just a cover for our own unwillingness to deal personally with God, to confront our own sin and our own need for forgiveness. And there are a lot of people today that, that call themselves atheists or agnostic, but the reality isn't that they don't believe in God or they don't know what to believe. The reality is they're actively running away from God. And so it's at this point that the king changes his tactics, right? I don't need these people to come to my son's wedding banquet, all right? You know, they have forgotten that they still put on their underwear one leg at a time. Verse 8 says, Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. So the king says, I'll invite the common people, the average citizen. I'll invite them, and, and I'll share that the, the best the king has to offer to anyone who's willing to, to accept my invitation and come. When the Jewish people refused God's Messiah, he offered the invitation to everyone else. And this brings us to the third group of people in Jesus' story. Now, in the story, it's just one guy, but I'm afraid this one guy represents a whole bunch of people. And that is those who respond to the invitation, but they don't prepare. Right? They accept the invitation, but they don't prepare appropriately. And in verses 11 through 13, the king's servants find a man at the wedding banquet who's not wearing the proper wedding attire. Um, you know, it's kind of like, you know, showing up to a Philadelphia Eagles game, wearing a Dallas Cowboys jersey. It's just not something you do if you want to live to see your next birthday. You know, uh, in our own culture, uh, it's fairly customary that the groom's family provides uh, the clothing for the groom and the groomsmen. All right, uh, so imagine the groom's family has bought four or five tuxes for the groom and the groomsman, but on the day of the wedding, you know, the best man shows up in his Heineken t-shirt, all right? Not a funny prank. It's insulting. It's, it's a dishonor, all right? It's like that, you know, times a thousand. And the result of this is, is that the man is thrown out Jesus says, into the outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, this isn't wedding imagery that's a part of the, the earthly part of the story. Throughout the Gospels, this is hell talk, right? This is Jesus and how he talks about eternal damnation, judgment, and hell. So make no mistake, this is very serious business we're talking about here. Now, culture and custom required that there was special wedding dress, 
uh, wedding clothing that was to be worn to the banquet. In fact, it was fairly common in these high-class weddings, royal weddings, that the host of the wedding would actually provide the wedding attire for the guest. But here's somebody who shows up to the wedding without the proper clo clothing, right? More than a social faux pas, but an act of insult and dishonor. Now, we don't know why this fellow shows up unprepared. Maybe he was too preoccupied ran out of time, maybe he was neglectful uh, and lost his wedding clothes. Um, maybe he just didn't care. It doesn't really matter though, because this guy illustrates a very important spiritual point. You see, the first two characters in this story represent people who never believed in Jesus, right? They never received Jesus as the Messiah. They weren't Christians. They never became Christians. They never made a commitment to Christ. But this third guy represents somebody who, at least in appearances, becomes a Christian. He responds to the invitation. He makes a commitment to Jesus, but then he nullifies the grace of God through a lack of spiritual preparation. Right? And scripture warns about this in several places talks about receiving God's grace in vain. Hebrews talks about this a lot. In Hebrews 6, it, it warns against failing to grow and mature in the faith, and that if we don't grow in the faith, eventually we strangle it and we fall away. Now, what is this lack of preparation? What, what do, the, do the wedding clothes represent here? The wedding clothes symbolize how we live, our lifestyle, our behavior. Um, throughout scripture, clothing is a very consistent symbol. It is a metaphor for our personal morality and holiness or lack of it. I'll give you just two examples, one from the Old Testament and one from the New Testament. This first one comes from Zechariah, chapter three, verses three through four. And here's what it says. Now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. The angel said to those who were standing before him, take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to Joshua, see, I have taken away your sin and I will put rich garments on you. So here we have dirty, filthy clothes representing sin and, 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 and just moral filthiness. All right. And, and the clean, rich garments representing forgiveness and holiness. All right, then in the last book of the Bible, Revelation um, chapter 3, this is one of Jesus' seven letters to the seven churches. This is from his letter to the church in Sardis. And he, he makes them this promise. He says, yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. And he's talking about their lack of obedience. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my Father and his angels. Right. So the this guy that shows up at the wedding banquet without the, the proper wedding clothes represents the so-called believer whose life remains unchanged. 
right? They make an initial commitment to Christ. You know, they make a decision for Jesus, but there's a lack of obedience. There's a failure to grow in the faith. So it's important that we respond to the invitation. But that's not something you do lightly, right? Don't say yes to God if you don't really mean it, because accepting Jesus' invitation is, is not like getting a get-out-of-jail-free card in Monopoly, all right? You know, we say, okay, I've made my decision for Jesus. I've, I've raised my hand. I've said my prayer. I've been baptized. I've got my fire insurance. Now I can live my life however I want. I'm covered. Jesus invites you to receive his salvation just as you are but it's never his intention to leave you just as you are. It is his goal to change you just as he is. And so those are the, the, the three negative responses that we can have to God's invitation to salvation. We can ignore it. We can reject it. We can accept it, but then not prepare but lastly, there are those who receive the invitation with appropriate preparation. Now, Jesus doesn't spend time talking about this group, but it is assumed that, that, that those who, who do receive the invitation, respond to the invitation, and show up uh, with the proper wedding garments are those who have responded with appropriate preparation. Now, let me put this in perspective with, with a story we might understand. For four years, she had dreamed of this day. But for 11 years, three months, two weeks, and three days, it had seemed like an impossibility, just a teenage girl fantasy. But a week and a half ago, that fantasy became a reality with one phone call that changed everything. He had asked her to the prom. The right dress had been bought. More than a dozen stores had been visited, and in the end, they went all the way to Kansas City to get the dress. Uh, then there were the two last-minute trips to the tanning salon. New shoes, new jewelry. Her, her nails had been done. Her hair has been professionally permed and braided. She has started getting ready today at one o'clock in the afternoon. And now it's six o'clock and he is at the front door. And it was all for this moment and she is ready and it was totally worth it. This was her perfect day. This was her moment and she's ready. Right? That's response with preparation. Now Jesus concludes this parable with a sobering declaration. And, and this is our core verse for this week, Matthew 22, verse 14. For many are called, or for many are invited, but few are chosen. Right? Jesus' invitation goes out to everyone. It goes out everywhere. There's no one who does not receive it. But the sad reality is that when the big day arrives, very few are going to be there. Narrow is the road, Jesus says. Not very many people will genuinely respond to the invitation. 
Now, over the years, there's been a lot of debate and discussion about what exactly this verse means. What does it mean to be called versus what it means to be chosen? What all is involved in the choosing? But one thing this passage makes clear is that our personal response to the invitation matters. How you respond and how you prepare in response to the invitation makes a difference. You've been invited. Everyone and anyone watching this, listening to my voice, has been invited. And it doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter what you've done, doesn't matter where you've been, none of that matters. What matters is, is what you do and where you go from this point forward. So have you responded to the invitation? Have you? Are you prepared? And when Jesus returns to, to finally and fully establish his kingdom, will you be ready? Or will you be like a person that's like, oh, crud, just give me a couple more months to, to get things in order? Have you responded to the invitation? Have you received Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you received his forgiveness for your sins? Have you been baptized into him? Now, the parable compares responding to this invitation the, uh, to this wedding banquet with a week, a week of feasting and festivities and celebration. There would have been music and dancing and food and lots of food. It was an invitation of the highest honor. And this banquet is a picture of heaven, right? And not just a week of festivities, but eternity. The place of unspeakable joy, unmatched by all that this world has to offer, right? The invitation has been given. Many are called. You have been called. But will you be chosen. Thank you, and God bless.